0: We gather on this Wednesday, in the fourth week of Easter, continuing our studies in Acts and in John. I say studies intentionally because we don't, as Christians, especially as Catholics, don't come and just hear the word read to us. We, we actually have a responsibility to spend time in the word and dwell on it. And the, the Greek language says nosh, we're supposed to nosh on the word. Chew on it a while, chew on it. Let it Let it settle within us. Walk in it throughout the day. Think about it. It won't be crazy if you talk out loud about it to yourself. I don't know if that's an indication of an imbalance or not, but it's okay to do that because you're noshing. You're you're thinking about it. And there's oftentimes embedded in Scripture, in fact, most of the time, there's such depth in the little statements made, we just kind of walk by them because we we don't really understand them. It's almost as if we're looking at this one of our beautiful stained glass windows and we saw it's a beautiful stained glass window and then if you stand at it in front of it for a while and just look at each piece or look at how the artist captured the image or presented an image the details all the beautiful statuary in our church offers that same opportunity to stare at it and see the detail that's there and that's that's here today in our readings If we look again at Acts, we're in the 12th chapter, the very end of the 12th chapter, segueing into the 13th. And we've been following this journey along, uh, certainly the conversion of Saul being the principal event in the early expansion of the church into the Gentile world. But now, in time, we're about 11 years, approximately, after Christ's ascension and return to heaven. That's what's transpired. And this meeting is taking place and there's this great amount of activity and the reason we know that is because herod the tetrarch is named and he died in 44 a.d it's a matter of historical fact he died in 44 a.d and if we approximate christ's death in 33 a.d you get it you get there 12 11 12 years after the death and ascension of our lord death resurrection and ascension of our lord is this event taking place now so you know, the, the Bible is not a history book, but history is in the book. The Bible's not a history book, but history's in the book. And so we're, we're hearing real history recorded here. In fact, we know about Herod. We were yesterday learning about the church at Antioch and how Barnabas had gone north, had gone then to Tarsus to get Saul, brought Saul back to Jerusalem because Saul had originally converted to Paul, been in Jerusalem. Then he went north to Antioch and spread the word. Then he went to Tarsus and Barnabas was tasked to go after him and brings him back because of the great discovery that Barnabas made in Antioch of how, how strong that young Christian community was. And it's there we heard yesterday that the church was first called Christians. So if we were to follow that dialogue aloud, that was yesterday in the 11th chapter. If we continued reading the front half of the 12th chapter, we read about Herod's persecution of the Christians. Now, You know, historically, this Herod is the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great had 10 children and he had three sons into which his kingdom was partitioned after his death. King Herod the Great died around uh, maybe four or three, what we call now BC. He's the one who ordered the death of the children in and around Bethlehem when he heard of the birth of Jesus. That's the father of the man we're talking about today, King Herod the Great. King Herod the Great was a pretty rough individual. He murdered three of his own children, murdered his wife. So he he was quite the the fella. Well, his son, Herod the Tetrarch, is now up north. So the kingdom's divided into multiple uh, zones or regions, and his son, Herod, is now in the north. And it's this son who's persecuting the Christian church. And that, But we hear, God's will be done, God's will be done. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Herod. So Herod had long been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Those are two big coastal cities. Who now came to him in a body. And after winning over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they sued for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's territory, which was basically Syria to the northeast. And on an appointed day, Herod attired in royal robes and seated in the rostrum addressed them publicly. So now King has come to speak to these people along the coast. They have an audience with him. And as he's speaking to them, the assembly cried out, this is the voice of God, this is not a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not ascribe the honor to God and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Now what is true is that man, Herod the Tetrarch did die of some awful disease where he was consumed from the inside, potentially a parasite. That's, that's a matter of record. And Luke, in writing that detail, Luke the physician says, well, it's an angel of God and he was eaten by worms. So our doctor Luke captures that important note. Here's the little piece of gem glass mosaic that is in the reading we just heard. Now I'm reading from 13. Now. There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaim, who was a close friend of Herod. So Herod's close friend, Menaim, has been converted and baptized into the faith. Interesting, isn't that? And equally interesting is, you've heard this before many, many times, Luke names names. It's people and places, people that someone hearing this work Acts could go talk to and ask about those events. So you're reading or hearing more likely hearing the book of Acts read to you in the early Christian church years after these events but proximate to these events and you can can hear that again in Antioch were these people. Name, 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 name. So you can go to Antioch, ask people in the Christian community the way about, hey tell me about Barnabas or Simeon, who was called Niger. That's a unique individual. Hey, there's Simeon called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene, Menaein, who was the king's friend. Oh, he's over there. You, you can go talk to Manain. He's he's right over there. He's, he'll be here tomorrow. He comes here every day at noon. Things like that happened. So that the testimony of what transpired miraculously in the early years of our church was a matter of witnessed life. It was a matter of fact. It was, this happened. And you could talk to them about it and visit with them who saw I was there when Peter healed that paralytic. I was there. I saw it. I saw it happen. So, when we encounter Scripture, particularly the book of Acts, it's such an important understanding, an important message that we all need to share together as brothers and sisters in Christ, is to spend time with it, follow... Follow, if you will, the geography, follow the story as it unfolds along a a map or on a map before us. These are real places. Maybe keep a list of names and look them up and see what the chain reference is to that individual. Because I said that in the Easter morning homily, you'd have to be a fool. In fact, you are a fool. John's Gospel says so, our Lord says that more importantly. You are a fool if we just dismiss this and don't spend any time to look at it and say, huh, look at that, look how this story hangs together. Look at the evidence, look at the fact stream of of events that have occurred that were verifiable in the early years of the church. They were verifiable. They, They weren't a mystery. They weren't a, hmm, that's a neat story, oh no. People, places, things, dates that are verifiable that these events occurred. Segwaying then quickly then to John's Gospel, our Lord says that so beautifully. Whoever believes in me, and not only in me, but also in the one who sent me, and whoever sees me sees the one who sent me. One time a young person asked me that. Father, how come there's no pictures of God in a Catholic church? Asked me that, it's such a beautiful question. How come there are no pictures of God in a Catholic church? Good question. It's insightful for a young one. Well, when we see our Lord, we see God. Jesus Christ is God. Whoever sees me, sees the one who sent me. And artists over the centuries have attempted to represent what that person, Jesus Christ, in his humanity looked like. So when we see that, is that exactly how Jesus looked? I I don't know. Was he 5'6"? Was he 5'10"? I don't know. I don't know. What, what he did look like was a fully human being. That was true, a fully human male. That was true. I came into the world as light so that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. What is darkness? Ignorance. Ignorance is darkness. And when we're not versed in the scriptures, when we're not ingesting those, when we're not spending time on the teachings of the church which are based on the truth of scripture, then we're remaining in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not observe them, I don't condemn them, our Lord's key message, for I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. This is important. Whoever rejects me and does not accept my words has something to judge him, the words that I spoke. I say this is important. It's all important, crying out loud. But this message is we are judged by our own decisions. We're judged by our own decisions. It's a a beautiful writer of the East, um, uses these words. There's a book I read years ago. It's called Bride of the Lamb, Bride of the Lamb. And in that beautiful work, the image is this. Judgment, it's called the particular judgment in the Catholic teaching of the faith. There's two judgments when our natural life ends. That's called the particular judgment. And then when Christ returns, that's the second judgment. But in the particular judgment that, that happens immediately upon our natural death, the judgment is that we are brought to face or we are confronted with the truth of who we were supposed to be in God's will. We confront the person we were supposed to be in God's will. This is the Eastern writer's idea. And the difference between who we were supposed to be in God's will and knowing and loving him and who we were and how we lived out our life, that difference is the judgment that we face. And it's it's shattering. It's shattering if we have walked in darkness and been lazy or willfully ignorant of the truth of our Lord without investigating and checking it out. So our message today is our Lord did not come to condemn us. No, he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to bring life and joy and hope. He is that light. In seeing him, we see the Father. And it's our responsibility responsibility to grow in the faith. It's the church's responsibility to advance that cause in every way possible. And then having received that truth, most especially the truth of his presence in the Eucharist, we have a responsibility to bring that light out into the world around us. God bless you.